This is Incomplete Design History, a podcast that explores overlooked and ignored topics in graphic design history. It is our goal to deepen and expand the knowledge, understanding, and interpretation of design history. Because history is messy. It's incomplete. Thank you for joining us today. I'm your host, Mandy Horton. This season of Incomplete Design History will focus on women of graphic design history. At the very end of the 1700s, the first specimens of a platypus arrived in Europe for study. No one could figure out these animals, and they even suspected that they were fake. Nothing more than creations of imaginative and skilled taxidermists. The thing about the platypus is it has so many parts we recognize. The bill of a duck, a body and webbed feet like an otter, the tail like a beaver, and then their webbing retracts to expose claws like a cat, and they even lay eggs. If that's not odd enough, the males are venomous. It just seems weird to have all of those things on the same animal, but there they are. In the broader field of design, it's not completely unheard of to have a mashup of a lot of different disciplines. But every once in a while, we find a kind of a platypus. It's that kind of designer that pulls a bunch of different but recognizable parts together in one place, And well, there they are. Deborah Sussman, the focus of today's episode, is one such platypus of design. Deborah Sussman began her career just a few years after the end of World War II. By a simple fact of geography, the United States was left largely unscathed by the physical damage caused by the war. This allowed for a period of industrial expansion that turned your garden variety corporations into global companies. As these corporations grew, their need to develop systems for wide-scale product and service marketing that could get past language barriers also grew. Businesses and corporations today can often be identified by a single image and follow a consistent theme, independent of their location. Yet in the 1960s and 1970s, the idea of corporate identity was still emerging. Graphic design systems became important and useful tools in projecting a cohesive image for corporations in unifying the business's means of communication. But it wasn't just the logo or the look of their marketing materials. Corporate identity needed to consider physical locations, too. Worldwide corporations and international transportation facilities recognized the need for consistent and coordinated place marking symbols to bridge language barriers during a time when the world was becoming increasingly interconnected. By the end of the 1970s, comprehensive design systems were recognized as a fundamental tool for global businesses and corporations. Planners hired for large-scale events and widely recognized corporations realized that comprehensive planning for communication with international and multilingual audiences needed to be guided. As a result, graphic designers were hired to design signage for international events, airports and transportation hubs, that was simple and communicated important information quickly. Events like World's Fairs and Olympic Games were directed and designed by artists who could simplify basic meanings in an engaging and informational way. The work of designing for physical locations like airports or event spaces became known as environmental graphic design, and Deborah Sussman was one of its pioneers. By definition, environmental graphic design merges graphic design, architecture, and urban planning. Designers often create information graphics, branded identity, building signage, and wayfinding arrangements. With such an odd combination of required skills, there weren't many designers doing environmental graphic design, and a few of them were women. 
environmental graphic design as a discipline wasn't even formalized until the 1970s. Sussman said, even into the 1980s, there were not many of us. We were hard to label. Not exactly graphic designers, not architects, not interior designers. Rather like a certain animal mentioned at the beginning of the episode. Environmental graphic design is unique in that women like Sussman emerged as leaders in the discipline and continued to lead it. If she became a pioneer in environmental graphic design, the question we have to turn to is how Sussman got there. We'll start that story at the beginning. Deborah Sussman was born in Brooklyn, New York in 1931. Her father, a successful commercial artist, and her mother, a linguist, are said to have impacted young Deborah's interest in the arts. Growing up, she attended the Art Students League and enrolled in summer sessions at Black Mountain College, where she felt like she had a cutting-edge curriculum in the arts. Sussman had a wide range of interests and pursued painting and acting at Bard College in New York, and then specialized in graphic design at the Institute of Design in Chicago. During her time at the Institute, Sussman attended a guest lecture featuring two prominent designers, Charles and Ray Eames, who made groundbreaking contributions to modern architecture and furniture. During their visit, they asked if the school could recommend them a student who would be willing to travel to California to work for them during the summer. Sussman was chosen for the summer internship at the Eames office, which led her to stay with the couple's office from 1953 to 1958. Sussman was influenced by the playfulness of Charles and Ray's work, and her four years spent at the office directly influenced her passion for design. Deborah was also awarded a Fulbright scholarship in 1958 to study in Ulm, Germany. During this time, she also traveled to Milan and Paris. In 1961, Deborah returned to New York, but she soon got a call from Charles Eames to come back to L.A. and work with him and Ray. And she did, and she stayed there until 1967. By 1968, Deborah established her own graphic design practice. From her work at the Eames office, she developed a passion for the built environment and became known for her bold and multicolored work as an environmental graphic designer. That would lead to collaborations with planners, architects, and other designers. Her list of clients and collaborators is also impressive, including Frank Gehry, Philip Johnson and Foster Partners, IBM, the Government of India, the Ford Foundation, the Seattle Opera House, Hasbro Inc., the cities of Philadelphia, Santa Monica, and the Museum of African Diaspora. In 1972, Deborah married urban planner and architect Paul Prasia. In 1980, they joined in business and established Sussman, Prasia, and Company. A collaboration of the Sussman, Prasia, and Company with Gerde Partnership, a Los Angeles architectural firm, was the environmental graphic design project Sussman would be best known for, the 1984 Summer Olympics in Los Angeles. The committee in charge of organizing the Olympics that year hired Sussman and Prasia's environmental and graphic design firm and the Gerde Partnership to tackle the project. Since the Olympics are held in multiple venues, Sussman and the other designers were tasked with creating the environmental graphics that would consistently and thematically link each location to the rest. The palette Sussman created was bold, pulling colors representative of the nations competing in the games. She incorporated the hues and an attitude of celebration from nations such as Mexico, Japan, and India. Sussman and the other designers made a radical choice to exclude the United States national colors as the official colors of the games that year. The choice was meant to show how the games were less about being held in the United States and more about the city of Los Angeles, itself a melting pot of culture. 
To represent and further recognize cultures brought together by the event, Sussman designed graphics for venues, signage, and even some uniforms using the same vivid and bold colors. Sussman's efforts in creating identity and environmental graphic system that year changed how the Olympic Games could look and brought environmental graphic design to the attention of a far bigger audience. Sussman also played a supporting role in the financial success of the Games that year. Environmental graphic designers have been noted for their use of low-cost materials. The 1984 Olympic Games were privately funded. The organizers and designers had to raise the money, so Sussman and the other designers found creative ways to cut costs, repurposing and reusing things like tents and banners before such things are as cool as they are now. Six years after the Games, Time Magazine recognized the Sussman, Prasia, and Company in its special issue, Best of the Decade, for their creation and coordination of a vibrant and playful graphic identity and environment for the 1984 Olympics. Sussman's success and recognition for the 84 Olympic Games would lead to more environmental graphic design work. Back in 1955, when Deborah was interning at the Eames office, Walt Disney opened Disneyland Park in the Bel Air District of Los Angeles. Later, Sussman and Prasia would be commissioned to design elements for the Walt Disney Rural Resort and Euro Disney. Sussman learned what to do with large outdoor spaces while working for the Olympics, which would prepare her to do the graphics for Disney World and Euro Disney traffic systems. It should come to no surprise that her wayfinding systems for Disney would be very well received and win some awards as well. After the Olympics and Disney, it wasn't just big companies looking to Sussman and Prasia and Co. for help. Officials from the city of Santa Monica commissioned a redesign of the city's logo. In working on the project, the couple considered the environmental location of the site, including mountains, beach, and the sky in their design. Along with the logo, Sussman and Prasia designed and updated an energetic graphic identity for Santa Monica that included everything from street signs to the public bus system. After seeing what Sussman did for Santa Monica and the success of those graphic systems, several other cities like Philadelphia commissioned similar makeovers, as well as other urban branding projects. As if the Olympics, Disney, and entire cities weren't enough, in 2003, Sussman and Prasia and Co. helped create the brand identity system for San Francisco's Museum of African Diaspora. The project included designing the logo, environmental graphics, and exhibition spaces. Sussman helped create immersive multimedia exhibits and places to reflect on the narratives of the African experience on display in the exhibition. Her creativity manifested as a long canopy, giving the museum a splash of color that enhanced the architecture and invited museum goers to feel and understand migration as ultimately and inevitably disruptive. On August 20th, 2014 in Los Angeles, Deborah passed away, a victim of breast cancer. She was highly recognized with many honors, and her work has been widely exhibited and reviewed. In 2006, the Society for Experiential Graphic Designs presented her with its Golden Arrow Award. In 2012, she was inducted into the Hall of Fame of the Art Directors Club of New York and presented the Henry Award by the Museum of California Design. Ivan Chermayev a graphic designer based in New York who came to know Sussman when they were both students at the Institute of Design in Chicago, admired her ability to maintain a very clean and modern look in her work while still being particularly and deeply attracted to color. 
Graceful yet over-the-top, Sussman had a personality as vibrant as her color palettes. She was able to find and establish her place in a male-dominated design world, a feat all on its own. Over the course of her career, Deborah pioneered the platypus of design disciplines. The one that turns buildings and locations into exciting urban events. With each project, Sussman carefully considered the space and every detail and color emphasizing the built environment in a way that both honored and connected with the mixture of cultures that surrounded her. This episode was produced with the aid of a grant from the University of Central Oklahoma. Research and writing credits for this episode are from Oklahoma State University student Esty Perkins, with research assistance provided by Kayla Sinclair and Shane Valencia. Story editing by Spencer Gee. Sound design and engineering is by the University of Central Oklahoma's Center for E-Learning and Connected Environments. Music by Christina Giacona and Patrick Conlon of Onyx Lang. If you would like to contact me about this episode or about the podcast, please email me at hello at idh.fm. That is hello at idh.fm. Our website can be found at idh.fm. You can also connect with us on Instagram at Incomplete Design History. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you on the next episode of Incomplete Design History.